Chances are that you have seen those annoying commercials for batteries featuring the Energizer Bunny that's the pink toy rabbit wearing sunglasses and blue and black striped sandals. He beats a bass drum bearing the, fig- the Energizer logo that says nothing outlasts the Energizer, keeps on going and going. So do the commercials. That silly rabbit has been beating the drum for Energizer since 1988. At some point in the last 30 years, the term Energizer Bunny entered the vernacular as a term for anything that continu- or anyone that continues endlessly, or more particularly, for someone who has immense stamina. Over the past month or so, we have been listening to St. Mark's account of the public ministry of Christ in which comparisons with the Energizer Bunny become a temptation. He keeps on going and going. He takes a boat trip across the Sea of Galilee to pagan territory of the Jezerines, uh, where he exercises a demoniac at the expense of a herd of pigs. Then, in quick succession, he goes back to Galilee, where he is mobbed by a huge throng of people as he heals a woman of an incurable flow of blood and raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. Then a quick visit to Nazareth, where he teaches in the synagogue and is rejected by his kinsfolk, followed by the sending out of the Twelve on mission. Meanwhile, Herod's dinner party goes terribly wrong when Herodias' daughter demands John the Baptist's head on a platter. And finally, the Twelve return from preaching the kingdom to Israel. All this activity takes place within two tightly written chapters. By this point, it comes as much a relief for the listener as it undoubtedly was for the disciples to hear Jesus say, come away by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. This text first opened itself up to me 30 years ago this Sunday. I was studying theology in Washington, D.C., and asked for permission to spend six weeks of the summer in a small Benedictine monastery in northern New York because I, too, wanted to get away by myself to a deserted place and rest a while. After much hemming and hawing, the formation team reluctantly granted my request. The monastery was an eight-hour bus ride north of New York City in a quiet corner of the Adirondack Mountains. The life was similar to the schedule we keep here, up before dawn for vigils, followed by lexio, lauds, mass, manual labor, midday prayer, the rest of the little hours, vespers, dinner, and finally Compline, after which I walked the one and a half miles down the isolated road to the guest house where I was staying. It was a formative experience, and it continued, confirmed for me the monastic vocation I had felt myself resisting. Forty years later, here I am, a Benedictine monk, doing the same things I did then, except, of course, I'm, I'm doing it in a hot, noisy, restless city instead of a quiet, restful countryside, which is proof for me that God has a sense of humor. I sometimes encounter people who are shocked to hear that we are a contemplative monastic community in the city. One young man who came to me once told me that we had a charism within a charism because, as he put it, you can't pray in a city. Now, 
that is an astonishingly naive or perhaps a fundamentally theologically flawed thing to say. The World Health Organization estimates that 54% of the world's population live in cities. That's 3.9 billion people cut off from access to God. There have, all be, there have always been monks and monasteries in cities, but in modern times we've tended to forget this. At the height of the Middle Ages, there were more than 10,000 abbeys and priories from Ireland all the way to Bielorussia, many of them in cities, including that most austere of orders, the Carthusians, who founded charter houses in London, Paris, and Toulouse, just to name a few. All three met the definition of a city, London, Paris, and Toulouse, the they all met the definition of a city, the last I checked, but what the Reformation and the wars of religion did not destroy was wiped out by His Imperial Highness Napoleon. By 1815, there were a half a dozen monasteries left in all of Europe out of that original 10,000. The refounding of monasticism in the 1830s and 40s in France and Germany and the Low Countries took place at the height of the Romantic movement. It was thought that monasteries needed to be located in dreamy landscapes where monks could wander through the mist with their hoods up, looking spooky and otherworldly. But perhaps that young man was right in implying that the life of prayer and faithfulness in the city is especially difficult. On a summer day, Chicago practically throbs with noise and energy as millions of people go about their business. How do we, the faithful, respond to Christ's invitation to come to a quiet place and rest a while? There is a wonderful saying from the Desert Fathers, which I have used in novitiate classes over the years. It directly addresses the plight of monks, of Benedictine oblates, and the faithful, faithful Catholics and faithful Christians everywhere who have to live and pray in the urban deserts we have created for ourselves. The saying is about a monk who prayed to God to let him know if his life of solitude in the desert was pleasing. One day an angel appeared to him and said, you have not yet become like the seller of produce that lives in such and such a city. So the old man said to himself, I'm, I will go to this city and see whatever it is that this man does that surpasses my work in toil in the desert all these years. He found the man selling fruit and vegetable in the marketplace and spent the entire day with him. At evening time, the monk was invited to stay with this man in his room located above a tavern. The body songs of the drunks filtered into the room and the monk became disturbed. He asked him, Brother, wanting as you do to live according to God, how do you remain in this place and not be troubled when you hear them singing these songs and shouting these words? The man said to him, I tell you, I have never been troubled or scandalized because I tell myself we are all going to the kingdom together. When he heard this, the monk knew that he had not re yet reached this level of holiness. 
So what do you and I do who want to be near the Lord Jesus but can't go to a deserted place and pray a while? The next time your neighbors are partying past midnight or the ice cream truck rides down the street playing that annoying music box dancer or the dog across the street won't stop barking or the city is digging up the street outside your house that they just repaved last week and your nerves are on edge and your patience runs thin, tell yourself, we're all going to the kingdom together.